when you look at the rate of infection in Ghana, it was always airport residential area, East Legon, where the expats and people that travel. So I said to them, look, go to Jamestown, go to Bukum. They have a strong immune system. They're bombarded with pathogens all their life. They are fit. Now, the main thing is that if you have a strong immune system, you're going to defeat it. You might be symptomatic. You're walking around, it's there, but it's not. Yeah? It's not but I think within, within themselves, you know, why didn't you have an outbreak in these areas? Hello, my name is Abna Sewa, and you were just listening to Professor Dr. James Ajay, Director of the Institute for Stem Cell Research and Regenerative Medicine and Chair for Stem Cell Research and Regenerative Medicine in Dusseldorf, Germany. In this Academy Magazine podcast episode, Professor Dr. James Ajay sheds more light on his work in tracking the transmission of COVID-19 between countries in Europe and also West Africa, including Ghana. And he discusses the implications of low uptake of black participants in drug trials. But you you talked about personalised medicine and you also talked about the fact that usually the mapping is geared towards the Caucasian, as we know, and that was a big issue with COVID because the vaccines that were developed were not developed by us or for us. And, you know, well, I mean, okay, you mean, you mean in the development process yeah. in terms of getting individuals. And this is where our failure is, you see. What, not because coming I, forward to test? Well, sure, if you followed, because I, I also do COVID research, by the way, we've published a couple of papers already. So mm. basically, if you follow when, let's say, I don't know, I think it was the, the AstraZeneca, because mm-hmm. I was a Swedish, AstraZeneca, Swedish company and the Oxford Jenner yeah. Institute. So when they, and all other, when they had the vaccines and they were looking for, volunteers to test in africa including ghana there was opposition we can't trust them they're trying to sterilize us they're going to do this this went on really there was a mass protest in africa don't do it they can't trust them but it's developed and now you go and beg for vaccines right okay so you understand why there was opposition because of the history of well of course of so, course. so that, that's an opportunity to sensitize people communities that feel disenfranchised so right. it's not a case of just saying go out and, and let us test you we have to I was going to say there were times when people felt comfortable and as a result of that there was manipulation I'm talking of about course. you know this is this is a long time yeah yeah it exactly. was a long time ago but we have it Pfizer the, you know, yeah. what happened in Nigeria so these are the yeah, things sure. that obviously bad news travels okay but end the day there was a position but now they've taken it so what is what is that they send vials from the serum institute in India right what tells you that they've got a different batch sent to Africa yeah, the, the, nothing tells you that. You don't. <laughs> exactly. You don't know. So that, this dilemma is still there. What I'm trying to say is that with this and other things as well, you cannot really help the black population because of this mentality, because of our experiences. So in terms of vaccine efficacy, drugs, whatever, even getting donors, like in the UK, donors for themselves or whatever, blood, yeah. very reluctant. How do you treat your own people? I, I really think it's a long-term conversation where you sensitize because there is a lot of mistrust there is a lot of mistrust of course yeah yeah so it requires a continued conversation this is not going to get resolved overnight no no. but there has to be trust you see that's be trust you know that's what's 
usually missing in these conversations. Sure. But in terms but going back to COVID, I think yeah. Africa is big enough. It's there's money in Africa, there are resources. Now they're beginning to see if they can generate their own vaccines for mm. COVID as an example. Mm. They should take matters into their own hands. Yes, yes. I mean, how, how involved are you in that? So basically, I just do research, but I'm in conversation with people in Ghana who are really high up uh, in the both government and um, the COVID task force. That's basically the one side is the head of Noguchi, Professor okay. Ampofo, who is, who's doing, who's, he's one doing coordinating all the sequencing and all the tests, etc. And there's Dr. Insian Asari, who is the, um, there's the president's you know, advisor for health issues and stuff. So I talk to them a lot, what I'm doing, what they do in Ghana. The interest was going on in Ghana. And of course, they're trying to make efforts to really start also generating their own vaccines. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I think, end of the day, the general thing is that we, as a people, like Africans in general, we need to have a bit of control of certain things ourselves and less of reliance. Let's talk about just basic things like blood donation, stem cell donation in the UK from, you know, to treat potential like blacks. They're begging for people. We have to participate in such things. Actually, I did my vaccinations in the UK because Germany was very slow in the beginning. Once you get vaccinated and you enroll in such a study, they'll call you back after a month later and monitor the antibody production and titer. You're getting information back. I don't know whether they'll give you that information. Maybe they don't. But at least here, when people do it, I can get that information back. But I don't know within these studies. So if Blacks are not going forward, then how can they tell if this vaccines are really working really well amongst blacks you don't have that data yeah and and I completely get what you're saying but I feel like there's something missing in facilitating that and that is the trust so it's about what's the best way to encourage people to see the benefit in doing something so you know they always say that doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results you're not going to so how so what should what should be done then I think taking it down to the personal level and actually addressing those things that are the concerns of the black community, which is this idea exactly. that you're experimenting on me, that you've never apologized properly for, for giving syphilis to a cohort of our community sure. and experimenting on our children and not really compensating us for what happened or even admitting that that happened. And I think yeah, that's what's sure. missing, you see? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, but I think, we're now moving to what second, third generation. So I think we should be more inclined to go forward because we know better, we understand things better, so we can question better, unlike our parents or grandparents, or whatever. So I think apologies and this would never come anyway. I know, but what what I would say because you know with um, bone marrow, B- bone marrow, bone yeah. marrow transplants, yeah. I, I I remember I I went to a drive and they were talking about the impact on our community and I was prepared to go and you know an extraction of my bone marrows and then also giving blood. I've tried to yeah. do that a number of times, but unfortunately, when I was going to do it, I had just been from Ghana and there's that risk of passing yeah. on malaria, so they would never take my blood. So sure. I guess what I'm saying is when, when you know it's your community and it's driven by your community, you feel maybe a, a bit more of an affinity to do it. And I was prepared to do it on those two occasions. It's just like yeah. the blood thing. So that's what I mean. If people feel like it's led by their community and there's a closeness with it, I think they're more likely. So, so what do you mean by led by? So I can't remember his name, but with the bone marrow, it was a father who'd lost a son. 
because of it. Mm -hmm. And if they had mm -hmm. had the bone marrow, they could at least map and maybe find sure. it. Exactly, to match, yeah. exactly. And that, that story touched me because I looked at the dad and I saw my dad or I saw somebody who looked like me. Sure. So they yeah. had a really successful awareness campaign to try and build up their portfolio of matches and stuff like that. And yeah, it was exactly. And just explaining, you have to keep going back. It's not just a one-time thing. It can be a no, bit no. But as long as you're know, you know that and you know that hopefully you could help somebody's life, you're more likely to do it. So that's what I mean. Those yeah. campaigns, they're costly and you have to keep going into the community. Yeah. But I sure. feel... Like if I see somebody who looks like me, I'm more likely to do it. Exactly. This is what I'm trying to say. So basically what I think might be deficient here is that not having people like us on these boards, us scientists involved in doing these things. Yeah. Because if you see someone like you there or in the decision making and stuff like that, you have a bit more confidence because they'll fight for you. And I think I don't know the, ex the exact landscape in the UK at the moment. I'm not funny, but I'm just saying if we have more of our own there or given yeah. the chance to be there, to be yeah. representative, things will change. Because yeah. if you have a board, decision-making and scientists who are all white, maybe they're okay, but this concept is still there. However, if you have a cross-section of the population, you'd have more confidence in the system. But that comes from the top because that glass ceiling is not created by us. And just no. like your experience, you had to leave Britain to go to Germany just right. for you to further your career so these things the chance, not, yeah. yeah so that's why i mean broad, yeah, broad but, you know yeah sure but going back to SARS COVID what got you interested in investigating the transmission of the virus you know yeah. as a scientist you have to be flexible we're all thinking and you go with the trend as well you, you try to because you have the basic tools mm. so for instance the two companies that have made the mRNA-based vaccine there's BioNTech which is based here in Germany they were more or less targeting cancer using mRNA-based therapies, right? Which is something novel. Then the other company, Moderna, the concept of using mRNA to introduce a gene into a cell, that was done in this area which I'm in, cellular reprogramming. So Rossi et al., they did the paper where they, these four genes, they made the mRNA of the synthetic, they made the mRNA, then they introduced this into cells, pushed the cells back. I did this years ago in Berlin, where we also use mRNA and transfect this into cells. So Moderna, the idea for them as a company was not to make a vaccine, was more yeah. for regenerative therapies. And then, so you, you just diversify. So likewise, myself, when the whole COVID thing started, of course, there was a lot of money for research. You had to have a nice idea. So you come flexible because I'm, I'm more in the laboratory. So I thought, okay, I do not want to work with the virus, not personally, but we have the virology department where they get patients, they're isolating the viral isolates, and you can work with them to put the virus into cells. But I didn't want to go there. The, what we've published so far is regurgitating other people's data, meaning people published work where they took lung cells, they infected the lung cells with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and then they looked at the changes in genes, levels, etc. And they published it, but you always have to put the raw data into repository. So we went there with Vasco Rook, bioinformatician in my institute, he does the computational stuff. I give him the ideas for how to do it. Well, I just tell him, you know, let's do it this way. He downloads the data. So we did our first paper, which was based on lung cells infected with viruses. It's a group in the US. But we got the data. We reanalyzed it and really came up with the process that takes place in the cell once the cells get infected with the virus. So we showed all that. It goes in. There is inflammation. 
which you'd normally have anyway. Whenever you introduce anything foreign into a cell, you have inflammation. And then if it's not controlled, it goes on to DNA damage, into cell death, of course. So for instance, when you, when you go and get your vaccine, some people get high temperature. You, you, there's an adverse reaction, but this is in the body. So the body quickly produces antibodies to neutralize. And But in a cell, you don't make antibodies. So cells, you see these processes taking place. So our first paper was explaining the whole process. That went down very well. And then Vasco said, you know what? Now there's a lot of sequencing efforts. Let's see. I said, there are variants. Every country that takes that, including the UK, Ghana, Nigeria, China, they sequence the viral isolates and they put the genomic sequence in a database. So we took it all and we followed it through. And Vasco is an excellent bioinformatician. So then based on the mutations and the variants, we could trace the migration of the virus from China into Europe. And I said to Vasco, no, let's not stop there. Let's go to Africa. So I said, you know, well, for once I'm going to do something which says, you know, Africa did not bring this disease. Yeah. So basically we could trace that the variants that you could map coming from UK, you saw that in Nigeria and Ghana. Then those from France went to the French speaking. So it put another twist into the whole thing. This is crazy. I had this idea, but then you've provided data which actually fits that there's migration. And to publish it in the beginning, we went to some very high impact journals, but they did not like our story. They just did not like the story we had that brought it, Africa into it. Is it because it wasn't telling the story they wanted to hear? Yeah, because COVID, you know, you have to be careful, right? So then we submitted this stuff. It took us nearly a year and a half to get it fully to publish. We were revising it, revising it. And then whenever we did a revision, there's more sequencing sequences, the data becoming available. So this was it. And then bang, we made it. But what else can we do? Because you know, in Ghana and Noguchi, they also sequence. So basically, in terms of COVID research, because I do not want to work with the virus itself, what you can do is the spike protein, which is the basis of the vaccine. You can take that protein as DNA, and then you put it in a, what we call a plasmid vector, expression vector. So basically, you can introduce the DNA of the spike protein into a cell. And then once it's in the cell, it, it makes the protein. Most of the variants you see are in the spike protein. So what we have, we have the, the spike protein, which is not mutated, and then the spike protein, which has this variant. Now we've introduced this actually into my kidney cells. Exactly. So You tie it back to yourself all the time? Yeah, I do myself. And I also do it. I do it myself because I'm African. Because science, most of the work people do, they just take occasion. Basically, we have another paper, which is in revision on blood pressure. Because blood pressure, we talk about blood pressure goes through the kidney, etc., right? So there was, we had white and blacks. In terms of blacks, it was my cells. There was a visiting professor from Nigeria, Femi, who came. And then I had Osmond, who was, he's a Ghanaian from Cape Coast University, he did a master's degree with me. So the three of us, and then we also have Audrey, she's still in the lab, she's from Zimbabwe. So we also had our kidney cells, and then we had kidney cells from a group of Germans. So we worked to show Africa, non-African, because it makes a lot of difference. You have to do this. That's why I always go back to mine, because mine is my own and I can have others. So basically, so now what we're doing is we're putting the spike protein into cells, into kidney cells, because it's known that the spike protein, although it goes into the lungs, it affects various organs, but bef before the virus can enter a cell, it has to have these receptors, you know, mm -hmm. the ACE2, and the kidney has these receptors. So the kidneys actually get infected. But of course, the first line of entry into the lungs. So what we do is we introduce the spike protein into kidney cells, which is my kidney cells and other others as well. And then what we notice is damage mm. to, the, to the cells. And we see 
kidney proteins which are associated with kidney damage. And it's already been documented. Actually, there's a paper, I think it came from China, where they noticed that, okay, now it's actually not just there, other places have seen that, that some people that have had COVID infections also end up getting acute kidney injury. So now we're studying this, and now we know why. Now we can look at this in the laboratory. So basically, yeah, so our COVID research is more a clicker to understanding what happens when this foreign protein goes into a cell. Yeah. So just going back to the research, I'm really interested to see how the, the virus, how it is in Ghana compared to, say, the Gambia or Nigeria, it was quite different in terms of the variant that was dominant, because in Ghana, yeah. it's kind of similar across the board, board if yeah. I understood it correctly. Whereas in Nigeria, they even had their own variant. Exactly. So, so what was going on to make it different? There's no human control of that. Let's yeah. talk about Europe. UK always describe variants, right? The Kent variant, this variant. Have you ever heard in the news, Germany, France, Netherlands reporting a variant? Because the sequencing effort they do in the UK is done in Germany as well. So how come you never see any variants in Germany? One can argue that some of the, the Delta, because a lot of Indians in the UK, so oh, transmission yeah. of the Delta would go. So it's all to do with demographics. But also, I find it really bizarre in Germany, in France, Netherlands, sequencing efforts, but they never describe they have a variant. So is that just to do with migration then? No, it's not just migration. You have no influence. The Delta is clear-cut where it came from, right? Hmm. But the Kent variant... Maybe sometimes, maybe if one variant comes in, then there's a mixture by chance. Someone infects somebody else who has this, who knows? But that is beyond human control, right? And the virus itself mutates to survive. So I believe every country has variants. They're just not, what, reporting it? Not reported it or not making a big effort. Listen, because I travel between UK and Germany, Dusseldorf, London, practically twice a month, if not three times a month. I'm constantly in both places, right? And in the peak of the year, to come into Germany, all you needed was the flow test. To go into the UK, you had the flow test done. But then once in the UK, you had day two, day eight, where you gave your address, they'll send you the swab and everything. And then they do targeted sequencing. But this approach helped the UK to gather lots of data. Germany was not doing that. So that is one aspect. And I think the UK has more open policy. So to me, it's like not a single variant described in Europe. So basically, yeah, so my question was, why can't you see variants? So actually, this discussion I had this morning with people in, in Ghana who are doing this part of the sequencing effort. I said to them, do you have any variants? So far, we have not detected anything. I said to myself, is it really true? Or is that because you haven't made a big effort? Because the virus naturally mutate. It's like the flu virus because it's just a natural process of a virus. So there are going to be variants. Maybe some of the variants are not so penetrant, but there are variants. And I think to describe them, bring out in the open, if you pay a price because UK coming to Germany, UK was one of those countries where it was on an alert, red. But, But just going back to what I was saying, I can understand why there's a similarity between what, what was transmitted from France to Senegal because of the colonial connection, but was why Ghana, which has the British connection, you weren't seeing that strong link with just like a dominant variant and then whatever's in Ghana, whereas you saw yeah, the, that with Senegal and France. Yeah, I think that is more to do with the countries themselves and their sequences. Okay, okay so that, going back Ghana. to the sequencing, okay. Because you, you, you get that if you sequence deep enough and whatever, and if you haven't, yeah. you're going to see that. Or you've seen that, but you don't want to report it. Yeah. 
So, you know, the bit that I didn't understand about your research where you mentioned the early latent clades and then the latent circulation. So you would have variants that were early but latent and then you'd have. Yeah. So does that mean it was there? Yeah, but, just, yeah. just sleeping. <laughs> exactly. Just VC, Yeah, exactly. And now the Delta also is mutated. And I think I read something the other day in Japan. They've been following the mutations. And what they're saying is that some of the variants are wiping themselves out because the virus is also stupid, right? In the beginning, it's very clever. When it mutates, it mutates in a particular region, which makes yeah. it survive. Although there's something I find so fascinating. Of all the genome, the sequence of the virus, why does it decide this particular area? So is it random or is it clever? It's a big question, right? But in the end, it will keep doing this to survive. But at one point, it will accumulate so many mutations that it can't survive anymore and it kills okay. itself off. Or becomes less virulent. Less virulent? When I say kill itself off, but less virulent. Exactly. Okay. So when, when we think about Ghana and, and also just generally Africa, and this rhetoric that was coming out last year was that this is going to be a massive pandemic in Africa. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that never happened. And I noticed that you identified things that had been circulating so the sun vitamin d young exactly. population yeah exactly are these definitive first of all there are several layers i think covid they've been there for a very long time if you looked then and now when you look at the rate of infection in ghana it was always airport residential area east legon where the expats and people that travel so i said to them look go to jamestown go to bukum they have a strong immune system they're bombarded with pathogens all their life they are but, fit now the main thing is that if you have a strong immune system you're going to defeat it you might be symptomatic you're walking around it's there but it's not, yeah? it's not but effective. i think within, within themselves you know why didn't you have an outbreak in these areas so one of them is that there is the immune system is fit because of the environment you know we do experiments with laboratory animals rats mm -hmm. mice pigs now mm -hmm. if you come to the animal house these things are fed they're looked after there are vets you take one of them out and put them outside they'll die tomorrow india yeah india the, yeah but this was a variant the delta which was so so strong and the delta did not come into africa as strong as it did the delta evolved from india ah uh, so by the time it got to the continent it was a week maybe 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 it has yeah because remember when this whole pandemic started the world health organization oh my god africa is going to be a disaster yeah. Yeah. Of course, the numbers they project, I don't believe the numbers in because Africa. In, Ga in Africa or in Ghana, because the number of deaths could also be, they don't record it as they would do in the West, right? No. So I believe it's, it's that, is the young population, mm -hmm. because when COVID first started, you know, Italy, those, you know, the Mediterraneans, yeah, it was very high. So it's just fragile genomes. We have less of that in Africa because lifespan is also very short. So you don't have centenarians. So basically that is one factor the diet, the mm. pathogens exposure to that, mm. the sun. Everyone said it here in the West. In the summer, winter, whoa, we have problems. Yeah. So again, you can imagine that there's also winter time, immunity, sun, whatever. It's all part and parcel of the whole process. So, so what's been the impact from the published research that you've put out? What's been the response from the scientific community and then the wider community? The scientific community are very competitive, so a lot of them keep their mouth shut. However, um, what I like, at least from the press, also here in Germany, there, there are press agencies, there are radio stations, Deutsche Welle, you know, there's the Africa yeah. section. Yeah. 
yeah. and they took it and they, they made a new title reasons why Africa has not had la 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 right yeah. so that for me if it's come from a media house it already is a big thing I've contacted people have contacted me I've had interviews etc in Ghana so, had interviews so the problem we have in Ghana is that they see us outside as thinking we're better than them and it's not that we think we are better because we have a better environment facilities to do our work Mm. And I would say to them, I can do what I'm doing because it's where I am. It's not because yeah. I'm being arrogant. You see yeah. it as arrogant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see it that way. I just see that I'm privileged. Yes, because I've earned it and I'm here. So this is the problem. So, okay? so the problem is then on top of that is we have a brain drain situation with those yes. that leave and those that yes. wouldn't want to come back because they're not going to be received well. So you exactly. just lose all of that knowledge. Yeah. yeah. I just read something just before we did this. It's a, it's a Ghanaian guy. In, in London, who said, who said, he did an interview, I think it was CTFM, one of the stations in Ghana, and said, you know what, they're building the, the railway system in Ghana. He said, you know, why don't you invite me and my whatever, because I run a company in the UK on railways, and we, we are experts, we'll come and we can help. No, they don't want that, right? They, wouldn't, they, wouldn't, just wouldn't do it. They'll just rather have the Chinese do it, you know? They just mm. would not do it. That is the problem we have. I say this, and I don't care, I always say it as well. And they know it anyway. They know that's the problem. You know, there's a brain drain, but you have to attract the people back. Some countries do that. They target yeah. people to come back. But we, unfortunately, we don't do this in Ghana. So you've done all this really good work. You've actually put a positive on a negative view on yeah. COVID in Africa. But right. if Africans or Ghanaians are not going to receive it positively and see this is an opportunity yeah. for us to build, what was it for? Well, for me, it's important that I've done this and I've shown that this is what happened. So if in Africa it's not perceived as of so what in Tidiang and Fayong, you know, I don't care. But at least from the German perspective, it's been very, it's been taken up, not just this works, a lot of our publications, you know, it really yeah. goes to the yeah. targeted places where they read this stuff and I get noticed and the research I'm doing gets noticed. Yeah. And for me, it was very interesting that two media houses that target Africa and African issues also picked on this in a positive way. Um, yeah, oh, brilliant. So, so th this is it. So that was the idea behind it, you know. Yeah. Okay. So you have this amazing platform and ability to access a lot of information and actually put us on the world map by sequencing That's the it. transmission. Exactly. When I saw Ghana, I was like, "This is amazing." Oh, I tell you, yeah. when I did that, with, I did that with Vasco. I just said to him, "You know, I just focus on West Africa, but Ghana first. So <laughs> the question was, first of all, go to West Africa. Then yeah. I said to him, anywhere in West Africa where they have se sequences. Yeah. But I knew that Ghana were actually sequencing genomes. And if you're sequencing, you have to deposit yeah. that in. So in terms of West Africa, these were the only countries that had sequenced. So, so are, are you able to say, I know you said that how it's been received by the press is basically non-existent in Ghana, but the, the actual scientific community in Ghana, what's their reaction? Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, absolutely. When I put the paper on that got published, I put it on LinkedIn. Within three or four days, there was like 4,000 plus views. It was massive. And people have on the platforms which I'm on, wow, fantastic, congratulations, yeah. et cetera. So, so what happens now? What's the future? I mean, what can you do in, in with terms this? Of, well, this particular research, but also what else are you working on that you can tell us? Well, that's what I said. So we're now trying to understand what happens when the spike protein enters a cell. That's what we're working on. Um, what hopefully should be released quite soon. We're just doing the revision. It's where we use kidney cells isolated from urine, mine, one or two other Africans and whites, where we follow blood pressure 
So for instance, mm. if you're talking about blood pressure, you're talking about the kidney and blood pressure medication. So if you've got hypertension, there are various medications they give for hypertension. So blood pressure is when you get vasoconstriction, you know, mm. right? The veins get very tight. So yeah. for instance, there's one of the medications which are given for blood pressure treatment is called Lozatan, Lozatan, you know, yeah. Germans would say Lozatan, the British say Lozatan, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so that blocks a receptor and the key hormone, which if it's very high in your system, is called angiotensin. If it's very yeah. high, yeah. that leads to blood pressure. Mm. So you have to reduce that or prevent that binding and entering the kidney cells. So that is one intervention point, this medication. Yeah. So the yeah. doctor will prescribe it, he will do it, but now we've shown how it works in a kidney cell. Yeah. So we've shown yeah. the whole process. If you don't have it, and if you have it, what happens? So mm. now we have a clear-cut understanding of a process where you take from someone's urine, you get their kidney cells, and you can understand and follow how drugs work. Mm. And the long-term implications of this, you can use this approach to really identify new points of intervention, develop drugs. Okay, so that's that. I'll tell you what I did recently, actually, which is published. So there's a young scientist... Cape Coast University, a lecturer. She works yeah. on malaria. Yeah, we did a paper together. And I said to her, you know what? Because when you get malaria, you can also get brain damage mm. through malaria. Yeah. It's just called cerebral malaria, but it's inflammation. Okay. And then brain dead, right? I didn't know this, but we did some work with her, with my bioinformatician. And then what we saw was this. So then I got one of my PhD students who makes brain cells in the dish in the laboratory. And then the main toxin, which is released by the mosquito, that causes malaria that you can buy they've made they've, they've produced that you can buy it okay. so then we added this to brain cells and then we can follow what happens to the brain when it's infected by malaria toxin so we, we're, not, we're not published it yet but i'm quite flexible that i like to work with other people in different areas because that is very relevant because you know malaria is malaria but really understanding and having as an in vitro, a cell culture model where you can actually mm. see and understand the disease. It's a way forward. So that's what we're also doing as well. What I like, you talked about being flexible. What I like is you're working with lots of people. It yes. seems like all over the world. Well, I, you know, as you get older, you think, it's, you think of where you're from. Your conscience is home. Yeah. So if I cannot be there, I can impact and help by working together with young scientists. Yeah, so I've done also with Patrick Cobina at Legon. You've also published your work where Patrick was, for instance, they were studying something common in Africa, which basically is in Africa, you want to study things which affect the individual. Exactly. So they're looking at, they're isolated from seaweed. They isolated some proteins or structures, which antifungal properties. But then when he showed me the data and I said, yeah, but when they isolate this from seaweed and they put it on fungus, they stop growing. So that is arresting cell growth. And I said to myself, but this is what you really want in cancer, to arrest cell growth in cancer. Mm. So I remember I was in Ghana 2016, and as I was coming back, I went to his laboratory and, and got some of these samples. I put it in my pocket, and I brought it back to Germany. <laughs> so then, so then we, we took a cancer, cancer cells, and then we added this stuff onto it, studied it, and it actually it slowed the growth of these cells. Wow. So we published it as potential extract. Yeah. That can help. You see, but that's the thing. It's an extract. An extract meaning it's so many different things in it, but we could not pin down exactly what it is within that extract. It's the same as herbal medicine. You know, in Africa, our forefather, we don't know what it is, but something in. But if you give too much of it, it's bad because it can also cause damage. 
Well, I'm right? glad so, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, herbal medicine, because that is also a big thing. When you think about Ghana, people who can't afford to go to the pharmacy, that's what they're going to rely on. Exactly. And there they don't tell you the dose. They just say, you know, oh, fuck a cry, na yen say, na yen say, drink yeah. it. The dose, yeah. today is this, tomorrow is a different dose. Yeah, and yeah, you're causing, yeah. and that's also one of the big contributing factors to kidney injury mm. and liver injury. It's overdosing yeah. through herbal medicine. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, absolutely. It's through herbal medicine. If, even taking too much aspirin or um, ibuprofen can also cause kidney injury. If you take every drug, it can cause kidney if you take too much of it. Yeah. It's poison. Yeah. Exactly. So you can imagine going to, and they say, oh, take a bit of this, that, mix it together and drink it. The next day, there's no dose. Yeah. yeah. A lot of these kidney liver injury you have in Ghana is due to this. That's really interesting. But I think this is, no, because this is actually, there's a cause, it's Ghana. And I'll do anything to support Aww. Ghana. You know, in Germany here, we have the Ghana Student Association. Yeah. Right. So a lot of students here in Ghana or Ghanaian, whether scholarships, they come here, the problems they face. We talk, I try and support them how I can and, you know, help them with guidance, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if I can't do this back home, I do that here. But I'd like to end by really, you know, they always say that behind every successful man, there is, you know. A successful so, yeah. Exactly. So I'd like to thank my wife. I'd like to say this. So T- Teresa, fully yeah. supportive. She's also she's a clinical pharmacist. So we do a lot together. We can we talk about drugs. We do so also inspiration I have about drugs, especially the kidney-related work. She could tell me this medication, that medication, you know. So I find this so useful and helpful. So I'd like to take this opportunity also to thank her for the input I get from her and all the help, etc. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening. The music in this episode is called Life No Day Easy by Chechuku and the Super Pong Stars and is a special remix exclusively for Akadi magazine. Super Pong Stars is a high-octane patchwork of Ghana's indigenous genres, including palm wine music, high life, Afrobeat and Afro-funk. You can find out more about the band on their Instagram, Super Pong Stars. And if you'd like to listen to more podcasts like this, visit www.acadimagazine.com. Thank you.